hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Yes, Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcast. And also interviews with comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folk. And now, here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark... Thanks, Bill Haywatt. It sounds like you've put together a slightly different new introduction for the show. Is that in honor of our 10 years of soundcasting together? Bill? Bill? Wow. I guess he's already out of the booth. When that guy clocks out, that's it. But really, listener, you're the one that matters most in this succotash equation. Glad to have you with us. Or me. I'm Mark Hershon, your every other weekly host, and this is episode 252 of the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast. Did you catch my partner in clips, Tyson Saner, on last week's installment? Epi 251 featured snippets from a trio of soundcasts, The Worst Movies Ever Played, Thought Spiral, and Bob Saget's Here For You. You can still catch it in all the usual downloady spots like Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and our own damn home site, SuckatashShow.com. I don't have clips for you this week. Even better, I have an interview with the very delightful Wayne Fetterman. Wayne's an old buddy and a friend of the show, and he's just put out a new book, The History of Stand-Up. We'll get to my chat with Wayne in a moment or two. I hope you're doing well. This past Sunday was Mother's Day, and it was the first chance I've had to try out my fully vaccinated body when my family got together for the first time in over a year to take mom out for brunch. It was nice to be with everybody, sitting in a restaurant, masks off, and just hanging out. It felt like 2019. If you've gotten vaxxed up yourself, I hope you've had a chance to finally see friends and loved ones and are feeling like things are almost, almost like normal again. All right, enough jibber-jabber. This is an extra-long episode of the show. These days, Tyson and I try to keep these zipping along at about a half an hour, so this is more like the old succotash where we'd go on for an hour or more. But Wayne and I were having a good chat, and I didn't want to slice and dice it all up, so you're getting it all. At the far end, we'll have a word from our sponsor, Henderson's Pants, and their new Wake Island abbreviated trousers, and we'll take a quick dunk in the tweet sack as well. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my gabble gabble with Mr. Wayne Fetterman. You sound a little echoey. I am because I'm I'm doing this in my wife's office. Uh, my office doesn't have these echoes, but um, I can't use hers. So this is if I had a studio like I have depicted behind me, it'd be fantastic. But yeah, okay. But I don't. It'll be fine. All right. It'll, it'll be fine. I bet. Thank you for thinking of me at all. I love it. Absolutely. I've uh, I've been hearing about your your book, uh, the history of stand up. Uh, of course, uh, big, uh, big fan of, uh, everything that led up to this book. Yep. Um, and, uh, I actually, uh, I got the idea to call you, uh, cause I heard you on with, uh, the Sklar brothers Yep. last week. And I said, well, if he's going to talk to the Sklars, Wayne will talk to me. He's been on the show before we're friends. I'd be happy to, what are you talking about? Um, 
And uh, I've, I've gotten through the first couple of chapters. Uh, I just bought, literally got the book like yesterday. Okay. So, apologies for not having read the entire thing. Okay. Well, you, there's only 10 chapters in it. It's not that big. It's not that crazy a book. No, but I have a day job. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> but uh, then I flipped to the acknowledgments as soon as I got through the first couple of chapters. Uh, yeah. Just a lot of, lot of names I, I find familiar there. Let's just do a breakdown of the acknowledgments page. Whatever you want to do, I don't care. It's just stupid. The whole thing's stupid. No, it's uh, you know it's, I don't have a, my book in front of me. Should I go get it to re- no. refer to it? Okay, no, no, we're just we're just gonna have a conversation. It's not that. Let's important. do it. Reference these things. All right. Um, Wayne Fetterman is with us on Succotash. We've already started, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. Of course, uh, I like the way we do it casually. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's funny. One of the things that you guys talked about when you were with the Sklars was the idea of missing that hanging out in a club, you know, after the show or before the show or you're out in the front, like at the improv in the dining area, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. And it reminded me, I mean, you and I see each other maybe once every couple of years, three years, maybe. But uh, there is a thing amongst the comedy community that it kind of doesn't matter how much time has gone by or has passed, you know, okay. it gives you time to catch up on things, but it's I don't think that's unique to the comedy community though, but I'd like the way that you make it thing like, Oh, no one else catches up or uh, has old friends. <laughs> Why is that unique in any way to the comedy community? I guess it isn't unique, except it, it is one of the only communities where there are these weird gathering spots where people do meet. I mean, you can meet at work, you can meet at a coffee house, that sort of thing. But a, a comedy club is where comedians end up meeting. That is true. That That is true. Comedians do hang out at comedy clubs. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. hence hence the phenomenon to comedians, uh, I guess. Um, anyway. Uh, it just made me think that uh, the few times that we've run into each other in the last handful of years have been, uh, uh, it's been easy to, to just sort of catch up on things. You were with uh, with me on the podcast we did with Dana Carvey. Yes. And uh, things like that. Thank but, you again for getting me on that podcast. It was so fun. I, I just am in awe of that guy's talent and his kids seem super funny and just they riff like crazy. It's so great. Yeah, and you know he's he's done ten episodes of his new podcast called Fantastic, uh-huh. uh huh, and it's uh, currently on hiatus. Um, he's, working, he's working on another project, uh, but he swears he's coming back with it. But um, it's really him doing the way I I think of him because he and I wrote a lot together, and just him riffing and without any sort of control, without anybody telling him what to do or how to be funny. And uh, it's great to hang out with someone like that. That just yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was incredible to be on the show with them. I agree. <laughs> he is a next level riffer. Yes, he's incredible. Um, how have you been uh, doing with the the pandemic situation? Well, um, I'll tell you. Um, one, basically, all hold up the whole time in my house. Okay, didn't go to one dinner at a restaurant even when they were like kind of like outdoor restaurants yeah didn't do any of that i did i just didn't want to be the last person to die of covid that's <laughs> that was my that was my goal i had a very simple simple goal you so i did that and now uh last month 
because I also, I don't know if you know this, but I also teach yes. at USC. Uh, they provided me with two shots of a vaccination. I like to use the word inoculation. Okay. Nobody uses that anymore, but I like to be, in, I'm inoculated with uh, the Pfizer company plus their German buddies. Do you remember the name of that company they, they teamed up with? No, I don't remember. No, all right. I didn't think so, Mark. <laughs> I didn't think you, you're not, do, all right. Do so, you remember? Uh, do you remember? No, I don't, but okay. I know it was a German company. I know yeah. there was a thing. It wasn't just Pfizer, but they, yeah, so they gave me my shots. So I'm inoculated. Nice. And um, I am fully vaxxed with the, the, oh, Pfizer, vaxxed. The, okay. the, Pfizer, the Pfizer serum as well. Yeah, yeah. I also use serum, something they don't often use these Right, days. right. Serum. <laughs> the antidote. Exactly. Um, so it's interesting because uh, just looking, again, just referencing the acknowledgments here. The first yeah. thing we acknowledge are the folks at, at Vulture. Meg no Wright. question. Meg no Wright. question. But do you remember who introduced you to the people at Vulture? Are you saying it's you? It was me. You got me. Okay. Yes. Are you sure about this? Yes, because we were talking. I think we were in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we were talking, and you said, I've got this idea for these articles I want to write. Oh, my God. You're the and, guy. And I You said, should have been acknowledged before yeah, they. Doesn't matter. I get it. I doesn't, see what's happening. Does, no, no, no. The, 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 <laughs> but the fact matters. And that doesn't, it seriously does not matter to me. But what I love about it is that that spark led to this road that you've been down with first the articles and then you had your podcast. But let me, let me back up a little bit yeah. because it wasn't Vulture at that time. No, it was uh, 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 Split Cider. Split Cider. Split Cider. That's right. And then they got, they got oh gobbled up. Oh, my God. I feel terrible now. No, no, no. You should be no. the number one acknowledged thing. No, no, no. Meg. No, 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 no. How did you know Meg? Okay, now we're really deep diving. That's <laughs> like okay. okay, so here's what happened. So, How do you know I, Meg? Okay, so, I, uh, you know, we just celebrated the 10th anniversary of Succotash, by the way. Congratulations. Yeah, Congratulations. we started in 2011. I'm glad it was on the anniversary episode. Thank you very much. That Absolutely. felt good. That feels good. Absolutely. 2012, the end of 2012, I get a message from Jesse Fox, who at the time was editing This Week in Comedy podcast. And he said, hey, I've been listening to your show, and I know you listen to a lot of podcasts. Would you have any interest? Do you have any history of writing? Would you like to review? I said, yeah, sure. So it was free. They didn't pay us for Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Anyway, so. A job you mentioned earlier on. Of course. course. Yeah, yeah. Um, And podcasting doesn't, you know, not paying a whole lot these days. But um, anyway, so Jesse ends up uh, moving along. I mean, he's still there, but he gets booted upstairs or moved along. or I forget mm-hmm. exactly what happened. I think he left Split Cider to go to New York Magazine. And then they ended up. Wait, so Jesse was at Split Cider. He was at Split Cider. Okay. Gets- I did, this is, guys, again, I know there's three people listening and two of them are about to turn this off. But this is some. <laughs> This is some origin story here. Yes. This, yes. Let's do this. This is some Joseph Conrad. Yeah. So, so he, okay. He, so Jesse was at Splitsider. He Meg's at Splitsider. But Jesse takes off and Meg takes over as the editor for this wow. week of comedy podcasts. And okay. then New York Magazine as Vulture.com, which is their arm, they yep. end up purchasing 
split cider. So Meg, oh, okay. So they just bought the whole thing. They bought the whole I thing. So, so Meg I... and Jesse end up back together again. Uh, but Meg is now the editor. And then uh, you say, hey, I've got this idea for an article. Do you have any connections over at uh, Split Cider? Because I think you knew I was doing reviews there or something. I can't remember. I don't know. I think you might have brought it up because I, I don't know if I was aware there was this yeah. week in comedy podcasts or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I was, I greased the I feel skins. terrible. I feel no, no, terrible. No, 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 no. No, like I said, to me, I'm just fascinated to see the spark that happened. And then all the th- these things you've done from it that relate to it is just, yeah. it's really cool to see. I know. Um, and that, and that might've been at the improv, right? I think it was. Yeah. I okay. Was. I think that's where the fuse was lit. So, and then I wrote Meg and I pitched her that idea, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I remember when Jesse, Jess Gwynavan sent me a note because she's been in contact with me because she's a PR person. And she yeah. goes, Hey, I got this, this great podcast starting with, with Wayne Fetterman. Like I said, I know about everything you're about to tell me about. <laughs> <laughs> and of course I'll review it. So I think I reviewed your first episode for uh, split cider for uh, this week in comedy podcast. But she when, was not my publicist. Um, she I, was, I think you might be getting that wrong. She was no, but she was a publicist and maybe she was, you know what? I think she may have published. This could be the most boring podcast of all time. Just could. you trying to remember what Jess was doing. Anyway, okay. At any rate, it's unimportant. It's unimportant. The important thing is that, uh, you started down this, uh, this, this road of, uh, mm-hmm. teaching people about stand up comedy and the history of stand up comedy. And it's just, I mean, reading even just the first couple of chapters of your book, I'm fascinated by the forefathers of, yeah, of yeah. stand-up. I mean, I'd only heard two of those guys. Um, right. I assume you've heard of Mark Twain and Will Rogers would be my yes. guess. Yes. 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 Wow. And, well, Bert Williams. Yeah, I could. And obviously nobody knows Artemis Ward. Even I didn't. I, I wrote that. I was like, I had never heard Artemis Ward and. Like, this is my thing, comedy is stand-up history. So, yeah, that's all Rich Scheidner. That's all the great comedian oh, Rich Scheidner. What a he, uh, he turned me on to that dude, made the case, and I was like, you have convinced me. That is something. I was, one of the things, and again, this is minutia in your book. There was an element you talk about, the cakewalk contest? Yes. Okay. No, no, no. He helped popularize the cakewalk, which was a kind of a dance craze. But you, but you know where that came from, the cakewalk? Yeah, I'm assuming this is, was, I, again, it was a competition where you want a cake. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, it was, it turned into like African-American sort of making fun of upper class white people would be my guess. Am I, am I close? It's, uh, yeah, not, no. What is it? <laughs> well, uh, I learned this from Franklin Ajay, who uh, is a very great comic. Um, and he and I were working on a screenplay together. And it's it was set, uh, the origin of the screenplay is set in 1859. So we had to do all this research about slaves and plantations and whatnot. And the cakewalk was a thing that happened on the plantation where they would have, the slaves would do this, pr- this sort of uh, promenade or procession. Yeah, uh, around the yard, and it was whoever did the most crazy, amazing dance would get this this cake awarded by the plantation owner. So it was a very slave sort of thing 
when it started out, which uh, was rather interesting. Okay, so it wasn't, I thought it was, I thought, but in a way, weren't they making fun of like the way upper class plantation owners? Yeah, I think that's why. I think that's probably right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's all together. I mean, I'm seeing there's some great old um, film footage of cakewalking. Yes. Like it's some of the earliest footage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you've done more and more uh, research into this, and, and I think I heard you saying, and it may not have been on the Sklars, that uh, your research is um, kind of collected from talking to people like Scheidner and things like that, that you're not kind of in the depths of some archive somewhere digging through old... old well, I was. I mean, it's it's it, some of it is. Some of it is, I mean, especially to USC... I was able to, when I was preparing for my course, I was really able to use their library system, Mm. which connects with all the major college library systems. So you get Princeton, you get all, it's incredible, Mm. the access I got as, you know, just with my teacher ID number or whatever it is, however I get access to this stuff, that would cost a lot of money. So, and yeah, so yes, I have... For years, I've been studying the history of stand-up since the 70s. I've been writing about it since, I don't know, when did the 10 years now, I guess. Maybe not 10 years, maybe eight years, yeah. And, but yeah, I've always been a nut for it. And as it as you've gotten deeper into it, does it, does it keep sort of revealing facets you didn't know, like, like, the Artemis yeah. character and things like that. Yeah, Artemis Ward. And there's yeah. especially, like within the last three years, I've learned about Marshall P. Wilder. Never heard of the guy. Wow. And now, like, not a, he's very much, I hate to say it, like me. He was a comedy historian as well mm. as a comedian. And he just, and he did shows in something called Chautauquas, which are traveling educational shows, mm. and then got into vaudeville. And he was uh, a little person, now they call it. But at that time, he called him a hunchback dwarf was how he described himself. So he he really is like this self-made man. And then I find out that he's the first person to ever record comedy onto a disc, which wow. he did as part of a demonstration for Thomas Alva Edison's. No kidding. Yeah, that's wow. 1888, I believe. That's amazing. That's amazing. There's no history, no copy of that recording, but there is newspaper accounts of him recording it and then playing it back for all the newspaper reporters. Now, imagine if you could find a copy of that. Though. That, would that would be, be incredible. Amazing. That would be like, yeah, that would be like Eddie Murphy's ice cream routine or something. It would be incredible. What is the oldest recording that you have listened to that you've heard? Have you been able to find of, of comedy? Of comedy, yeah, yeah. Oh, I haven't really done that. I haven't really tried to. I, it's, oh, let me. One of the big hit records very early on was something called the Laughing Song, which was just this guy who had a very infectious laugh, <laughs> and that was a big seller. So I don't know. Does that count as a comedy record? I think it does because people were listening to it and laughing. So yeah, why wouldn't? It? Yeah. Sure. So. <laughs> The bar was pretty low. Let me put it that way. The bar was low. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe you reach this this conclusion in the book, and I'm sorry I haven't gotten all the way through it, but let's talk about the idea of, do you see things come around again? That Because you talk about sort of the, the prime, primordial beginnings of comedy, but as it's gotten sort of more sophisticated and created its form and things like the setup and punchline and things like that, do things sort of come around again like fads sometimes do? 
Um, I don't really look at it that way. I look at comedy as especially stand-up, which is more as kind of what I'm – I know you keep talking about comedy in general, so yeah. I kind of focus just on somebody on stage trying to get people laid. Yeah, and that's what I'm referring to. It's really yeah. Um, I find that the basic idea of it hasn't really changed. The basic idea of like, oh, I got to get laughs. Are they, is it more sophisticated now? Is it more intellectual? Yes, of course. But that hasn't really changed. What does change is the jargon, the local references, the uh, what's going on in the news, how people speak, what, what phrases are taboo and then suddenly not taboo, subject matter, all of that changes. So you can tell a lot from a comedian just by listening to what they're saying. You're like, oh, this is obviously from the 90s. I mean, or I meant the 1990s. This is from the 1940s. You can just tell because there's World War II references. So comedy, I hate to say it, stand-up comedy is a very generational art form. It, as a rule, does not travel over time very well at all, i.e. the laughing song. Um, so it's like that's just the nature of it. I mean, I, I have this discussion all the time. Like when we were starting out, people were just like, is Mort Saul really funny? I don't get, you know, compared to what yeah. Dennis Miller was doing. So it again, and it's a subjective art form. So some people are like, I love Jack Benny. Other people are like, could he be slower? I can't deal with this. <laughs> you know, it's like, so That's, you have yeah. that going on. Yeah, so I try know. not to get into, I mean, I get into the people that made a big contribution, but I don't get into like whether I think they're funny or they're, you know, it's just, I think it's, there's no way you can talk about the history of stand up and not mention what Bob Hope did. Whether sure. you think he's funny, and in a we, so that's just the nature of it. It's Is very, that- it's very, yeah, it's very contextual. I mean, when I was when I was a kid, when I was in junior high school, I was I always listened to old radio shows at night because mm-hmm. a station yep. here in San Francisco played them. Yeah, and it it's funny because what years of this? Because I or, do you want to give away your age or is this a oh, thing? Oh sure, but- sure. This is uh, like 72, 71, 72. Okay, right? okay, yep, yep, yeah. And it was interesting because you could start to feel the context of those times, of the yeah. 40s. And I was a huge uh, fan of the Marx Brothers and W.C. Fields. And well, the Marx Brothers, you hit the Marx Brothers. You know, they had this huge revival in, in the early 70s. Mm. That movie Animal Crackers yes. was released for the first time in decades yeah for yeah. some reason i don't know i i don't know if there was a right situation huh. uh, so that played college campuses and then they would play duck soup on college campus like oh it's like a anarchy <laughs> anti-war movie like what's going on here we're in the middle of vietnam so they you you caught that wave in a big way but i'll say I feel like the Marx brothers on radio was never as good as they were in films oh, uh, no, what do no, you no. think what no, do you think? I, no, no. I mean, they they were a, they were a physical act. I mean, Groucho Marx learned to be funny as as a one man show, as an as a stand up essentially, or a storyteller. Not really a stand up, more of a storyteller. But as a group, as a as a, a group of performers, I don't think they worked very well from an audio standpoint. I mean, that yeah. Was their, I mean, I know they media. did those. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the name of that radio show they did, but it wasn't. Um, 
But anyway, keep talking. So you, were, you would oh, listen to these shows, so and you would, listen to Marx Brothers on radio? Is this what no, your point was? No, my point was I would listen to kind of the, the regular old radio shows, and some of them were Jack Benny and Fred Allen and people yep. like that. But there mm-hmm. was The Shadow and, you know. Oh, okay. Classic one. comedy shows. Yep, yep, The, the Shadow. But, but the other, but that wasn't comedy. Neither was I X know. It was a suspense show, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah and but, there was something called suspense, believe it or not. But listening to that stuff and the commercials and the news, of the yeah. day, kind of put me in the context of it. So when I would listen to comics from back mm-hmm. then, I would start to, like, I, I always found Bob Hope very funny. And so part of it was because I knew the references. You know, sometimes if you listen to, like, English comics, you go, uh, I don't know who they're talking about. They're making jokes about politicians and celebrities, and you don't know who they are. Right. And listening to an old comic like that, listening to Bob Hope do something from the 40s, you're going, I'm not sure who half these people are he's talking about. But the idea you can put yourself in the context and understand the jokes better made him funnier to me than he might be to somebody who's more contemporary and go, I don't get what he's talking about. So no, yeah. just this idea of being able to kind of shift backwards in time and, and catch no, the course. sensibility, right? Yeah, of course. It's like some people, it's like when you watch a black and white movie, sometimes you're like, why are they speaking in this weird cadence? It's hard to get in. But once you do, it's really enjoyable. My grandkids were once at an age where they asked me and my wife, we were watching some old black and white movie. They said, what was it like growing up in the black and white times? We said, oh, when there was black and white movies? No, before there was color. And they thought literally there was no color in the world. They thought the world was black and white. Well, they were very young at the time, but they just, they're watching it. They're going, oh, wow, everything's in black and white. How strange. (laughs) Um, let me ask you, you talk about the sort of traveling in, in time with the comedy, your own time capsule, which I loved, which is the Chronicles of Fetterman. What was that like putting that together and hearing stuff that was, you know, 25, 30 years old? Well, it was both thrilling and humbling. What can I say? Some of the stuff was not great, but a lot of it was really, I was really proud of my act and if I didn't think it was good, I wouldn't have put that out. If I didn't yeah. think those jokes still held up on some level. And luckily, very luckily, unlike Bob Hope, I don't do topical material. <laughs> so a lot of the jokes were stuff about growing up or stuff about getting, you know, cable TV, which cable still exists, kind of. I mean, it's more streaming now. Uh, but let me tell you the most absolutely satisfying part of it is I put out this album. This was, for those who don't know, instead of, I always thought Warner Brothers was going to come to me when I was a young comedian. I was like, hey, you're great. Let's do a comedy album together like we did with, you know, Bob Newhart and <laughs> Steve Martin and stuff. So so years and years, decades ago, no one approaches no, me. No phone call. Ever. <laughs> no one's interested in putting out my material. I'm like, oh my God. I didn't want to self-produce an album or anything like that. And then finally... I was like, I had all this material that I had recorded, some of it off of VHS tapes, and there was this new technology where I could uh, take out the hiss, take out mm. the extra noises, so it sounded pretty good. It's pretty good. It was called RX is the company. Yeah. A little plug. And then once that came along, I was like, all right, let me clean up the audio and then put it out, you know. So it's called, you know, from the earliest routines are from, actually there's stuff from the 70s, but mainly it's from maybe 82 or three on. Yeah. 
And, um, but what's very satisfying is that those recordings show up on something called Sirius XM on their Mm. stations. And I get royalties (laughs) from a company called Sound Exchange. Wow. Okay. And the Sound Exchange tells you what bits get played. Oh, nice. Okay. So already I'm like, okay, first of all, it's amazing. I get money, any of that, you know, (laughs) passive income from something I did years ago. Yeah. But here's the crazy thing. A lot of the bits that like get played a lot are the oldest bits from the eighties. Really? Yeah. That they really resonate with people today, month after month, those bits. So I was like, that's surprising and very satisfying that I'm writing a bit that's uh, kind of a classic, kind of a classic. That's interesting. And there's no way. Yeah, that somebody in 2021 would be interested in Kenner Easy Bake Oven material. But anyway, they apparently they are. Right. But is it the, the your speculation is it somebody, you know, from who grew up then who's just wanting to reminisce? Or is it somebody going, wow, what is this Kenner Easy Bake Oven thing? I want to hear that again. It makes me laugh. I don't know. I mean, the, the I have to say the one that gets the most play is a driving thing that still exists today. So that. <laughs> That, that gets the most play. And that was, I recorded in 1998. So, yeah, so that's already over 22 years over old, right? 23 years old. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's the one that gets the most. Because that's, that's about when you go up to a, there's the left-hand turn arrow. Yeah. When, you know, when you're in the left-hand and when it's red, and we all line up behind that red arrow. And when it turns green, the guy in front never goes immediately. It's like, guys, come on. You have one job. You're not many times in life. You're, you're a leader. This is your moment. Keep your head in the game. The people are depending on you. So, and then it goes on and on about like, so that's just basically that observation. Right. Yeah. And so that one, yeah. So that gets a lot of play still. And I do a thing about McDonald's that's still, you know, McDonald's still exists. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. No, no, no. So it's, it was very surprising and sort of in a weird way, sort of, uh, negates my overall premise about stand-up that it tends to be generational. Mm. Yeah. But maybe maybe it, it's not a long enough span for that phenomenon to kick in yet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe you know. when we get rid of cars and left-hand turn arrows. Yeah, that's right. And McDonald's people, McDonald's people will. Do, who's what's this guy talking about? This sounds like an English yeah. comedian. <laughs> Is it old McDonald? I, do I, well, I don't know what this thing. I don't know this. I don't know this restaurant is old. <laughs> Dead dude is talking about. So during the the pandemic, have you done um, uh, Zoom shows? Of course, of course. Yes. So what is it like translating to that medium? So so that's, again, sort of springboarding to a whole new medium that, you know, there was no anticipation of how is stand up supposed to work in this medium? Because from the outset, you go, all right, it's two way communication and whatnot. But when you're talking and there's a bunch of people on Zoom, leaving microphones open and that sort of thing tends to not work out too well. So that all takes adjustment. So how's that been sort of moving into that? Well, it's frustrating. It's a frustrating medium because there's so many ways for it to go sideways. And the audio component is the biggest problem, believe it or not, not the video. <laughs> like really? the Yeah. So yeah, somebody's there's sometimes there's echoing. Sometimes you hear your voice back to you. So it's tricky, but um, I, it got better through the pandemic, and some people were making a lot of money. I'm looking at you, Mike Berbiglia, <laughs> doing this situation, and it was 
it, it, I think they cracked it. And again, it's not stand up directly because, but it's an L it's stand up esque. It was. And that there were times when I was performing on zoom that I would feel like I was getting a little bit of a role and getting a little control over the crowd. Like that's sort of what stand up is, is you sort of like these disparate group of people. And suddenly you're like, you get them all kind of in the same rhythm and it's uh, you, you like corral them. It was interesting watching people experiment with it. Maria Bamford, I remember yeah. early on started doing, she was just in her living room and she would do a half hour rehearsal every week or, yeah. or like every day. She was like churning these things out. And I got on it a couple of times just to watch her do it. And it what do you think? Tell me what you saw. It's it is not stand up as we know it. You know, there's just something it's about. It's almost like watching a video of someone doing stand up, even though it's live. Because there is some juice to the live part of it, though. Right. It's not like she just clicked on a video. No, because you're aware that there's an audience out there watching. And so that and there's a little bit of a little bit of interplay. But when you get into the material part, um, Mm -hmm. it was like watching a video presentation of an act. So there was a separation like watching a set on the tonight show or something almost, you know, I say, I say without having an actual audience on that side of the camera. I mean, she had, I think a couple of people in the living room that were running the equipment and they would laugh. So a little bit of that, but um, so yeah, there was, it was a very hybrid experience. Um, Not unenjoyable by the way, but it definitely wasn't, Right. And I think that, and I think the comedians that made it that were the most successful. The comedians Mm. that made it not like, oh, I'm going to be standing here with a microphone. There's going to be a fake brick wall behind me. I'm just trying to recreate this. Like, I feel like the ones that really like, okay, I'm going to use this box as my canvas and pictures are going to come up. And I, I don't know. I, yeah, Look, I mean, comedians I mean, have been, this is on one of the themes of my book, when you get around to reading it, um, is <laughs> the, that comedians adapt to technology. We talked yes. about Marshall P. Wilder earlier, you know, early audio, and then Uncle Josh, and then Cohen on the telephone, and like all of those early record comedy recordings. And then obviously a big thing, and I write about it in the book, was <laughs> microphones. Yes, there was stand-ups before microphones, and I think microphones really changed a lot of it because you could really, like I said, corral the group much more easily and much more effectively if you had audio control over the entire room and you could speak softly and still be loud. Like yes. that was never before, right? Or never could do that before. So now that allowed the comedian a certain authority that you couldn't get before. And that, re- I think that really changed it in a huge way. I think that's probably the biggest breakthrough, right? From an audio standpoint, I mean, a getting up on a stage. So you're elevated. Right. Uh, so that was before audio, right? right? That's right. before. Yeah. Keep right. going. Ha- having, having right lighting. So the attention yep. is on you. Yeah. And so every, every sort of advance has been how much attention can you put on the performer? <laughs> yeah. You know, because the, the way you say it, it's so embarrassing. It's like, how much attention do these people need? Uh, the, the lighting <laughs> and the sound and everyone shut up and listen to this person. Don't heckle. It's like, it's so funny. 
it's just, I mean, it's funny too, the stuff you learn from people. This was years ago when I was running the comedy club in Seattle and Kip Adada was a headliner. Uh-huh. And uh, he came in and goes, hey, can I go down and look at the room? Because he hadn't been there before. Yeah, okay. So we go down and look at the comedy room. He goes, can you turn on, the, turn on the stage lights for me? Yeah, turn on the stage lights. He goes, he's looking at the stage lights. Is there any way we could go get a couple of pink lights to mix in with those whites? I go, yeah, there's a hardware store down the street. He goes, okay, let's go. So we go. And I mean, he was right. He, by changing the lighting just subtly enough, it took the garishness out yeah. of what was completely white lighting. Uh, and this was, you know, a comedy club with no sophisticated lighting. What year is this? What year is this? 82. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure enough, it was, you know, he, uh, the, the things you learn and then pass along are pretty fascinating uh, to watch. No, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, as the room is set up, I don't know if you're familiar with Todd Glass, but he's oh, yes. noted for like how to set up a comedy room and how dark it has to be. And <laughs> all you know, because it's incredible. I mean, I, I look, I love working those rooms. So, but back to what I was saying earlier, there's been not that many, I guess, really since the lighting and the microphones changes in the setup like those nightclubs in the 30s are not that much different than a comedy club in 2020 yeah i don't uh, i don't know what you would, other than the fact i guess there's not any uh, cigarette smoke right right right, right. and in and in the alternative rooms not alcohol served like alcohol mm-hmm. was a big part of it from the 30s all the way through i'm sure the club you had in 1982 what was the name of it called comedy underground the underground, the classic, yeah, yeah. yeah. So at the underground, I'm sure there was a drink minimum, right? Oh, yeah, two drink yeah. minimum. Absolutely. So a lot of the juice, excuse me, like I say in the book, the economic locomotive underpinnings of the comedy boom, which the comedy underground was a huge part of, was booze. It was oh, like yeah. it was basically if people stopped coming to watch comedians, it would become a karaoke bar or it would have been a disco. Oh. It would have been some other way to sell booze, right? Oh, absolutely. Was yeah. the Comedy Underground something else before it was a comedy club? Do you know? That's a great question. I, I mean, upstairs was a, was a sports bar, right? Uh-huh. Swanee's. This was the old location. It's changed yeah. locations. And then downstairs, I think, was just a basement. I love it. That's, um, I actually like, like I actually like underground comedy clubs. Well, it's like the punchline. You know, the punchline in San Francisco used yeah. to be the dressing room for the old Waldorf. Of course, of course. Uh, but um, I like especially, I don't know if you've ever been to the comedy works in Denver. No. Or the comedy, obviously, the comedy cellar in New York. Like, I like when you go down into yeah. the dreads, the thing with the exposed yeah. pipe and the rats. And, like, that's where comedy, <laughs> David Tell is hanging out, smoking. It's the greatest what i liked about the boom because uh in the mid by the mid 80s it was already turning on right and we would have a line down the block yep and i would have people come down those stairs and Mm -hmm. literally have people look at me and go who are we seeing tonight they didn't care who it was they just they saw a line outside they knew it was comedy and they knew it had to probably be good i know it was really interesting and yeah, it, and the comedians that could draw people were making a lot of money, like Rich Scheidner and Jenny and Seinfeld mm-hmm. and Leno and those guys, yeah, we Lane Boozler. Yeah, um, we, we had Jerry uh, there, I mean, early on, way before his show, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Reiser, Perry Anderson, 
you know, all these big names and they loved playing a town like Seattle because. Oh yeah. No, that's a legendary room. That's a, yeah. And also, I mean, there's such a big area drew from and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have bookings to go back out to start going back? Yes. Yes. I got a couple of things. I got, um, Arizona and Florida in the fall, but nothing in the, uh, over the summer. I'm I'm still, I'm, I'm waiting for it. I mean, Broadway, I just heard it's coming back. I just read that on the way over here. Oh, that's good. In September, a hundred percent capacity. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. In New York. So that's very exciting. Um, and what about the classes you're teaching? Have that been, those have been Zoom classes? Yeah, not great. Not great. No? No. No. I mean, I've done the best I can, and, you know, I'm not that good a teacher to begin with, so it's... <laughs> well, it's I mean, it really is interesting. What's interesting I, get expo- is, I get exposed a little bit on Zoom. What's yeah. interesting is, you know, the... Uh, because my work, I work at this at this branding studio, and we've got we haven't been in the office since March. I mean, did you say branding studio? Branding studio, yes. I love it. I like the way you say it. Like, oh, you know, I work at a branding studio. Yeah, I work. Like, at a you know, that's the job a lot of people have. I create brand names. What can I say? I understand, um, but this is studio is funny yeah. to me. Go but, ahead. So, but we've you know we're we've now learned to work this way over. Yeah, over of course, a lot of people have. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not altogether unpleasant. Um, you know, it lacks certain, certain interactions and things. Uh, but what was interesting was, uh, teaching improv this way, which I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's much the same sort of restrictions of, well, what can you do? First of all, nobody has legs. (laughs) Right, right, right. Everyone is seen from about the neck up. And so, uh, you know, you'd indicated earlier, just this little box that we're talking in, uh, and that became the, the improv exercise room was what can we do that fits in this frame? And so it's interesting to watch people now beginning to finally get to expand beyond the frame again. And some people are, you know, don't adjust quickly to things and they got used to doing this. Mm -hmm. And now they're going, Oh, wait a minute. I, Oh, I can walk around now. I could go outside and whatnot. Um, People do improv outside. Interesting. (laughs) I'm curious to see what audiences uh, will be like and it, whether what's going to be great. It's going to be great. Audiences are going to be key to t- see comedy and feel it. It's going to be really good. I think it will too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I mean, I can't guarantee it, but I, I have to assume there's a pent up demand just to get out. And just and, think of the COVID material that's just dying to be told on stage. Well, hopefully we'll get past that. I hope so. I yeah, hope so. Yeah. Um, what else have you been up to? I mean, are you writing during this time? Are you? Well, I wrote a book called The History of Yes. <laughs> yes. Before, that's, I, out, I don't know, that, that's, out I could, that's out there. Yes. Um, the, I did write a little, I'm working, okay, I'm working on a documentary mm. for HBO, directed, co-directed by Judd Apatow. Oh, nice. On a stand-up comedian named George Carlin, who worked from... About 1959, teamed up with his buddy Jack Burns till June 2008 when he died. He had a really long run, incredible comedian, and I am just so honored. I I know it sounds goofy. I know it's a stupid, I'm honored to be doing this, but I am. I'm just like, I can't believe I get to work on this thing. Oh, it's amazing. 
just thrilling. It's been just thrilling. So that's been a big thing I've been doing during, you know, a lot of the the shutdown. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see it. I, I think I read about that project happening, and it's very exciting. I mean, I was a huge Carlin fan, um, so that's going to be very interesting. I can hardly wait to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep finding new stuff. It's just, it's just great. He's so, what a genius. Ninth grade dropout, by the way. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That Hated authority. Hated it. <laughs> and then, believe it or not, went into the Air Force. <laughs> But he had a very specific plan. He wanted to go to the Air Force, join up so he wasn't drafted, get out while, like, by the time he was 21 or 22, and then on the GI Bill, learn to become a DJ. That was his oh, plan. Perfect. Yeah, very smart. But um, he was, uh, yeah, what a comedian. 14 HBO specials. That's amazing. Uh, and, who did they get bitter towards the last few? Very angry. Yeah, I know. We talk about that. We talk about that. Yeah, he was very, it was this weird angry. There's one where he's like in a, I don't know if you even know this, but there was one he was going to do right before 9-11 called, I like it when a lot of people die. I do remember that. You remember that? And then he had to change it to grievances or something like yes. that. Yeah, so yeah. Like had to rebrand it because even, even the great George Carla was like, I don't think I can. <laughs> Trouble selling that one. At the Beacon <clears throat> Theater in New York City, like three miles away from, uh, you know, Ground Zero. So, yeah. uh, do you guys is incredible? Do you guys talk to to Dennis Blair as part of this? Yes, yes, we did. Just yes, Den- Dennis, Dennis opened for him for years. Yes, he did. You know who opened for him before Dennis Blair? This is going to be a great comedy who? trivia question for you. Who? Glenn Super, does that name mean anything? Yeah, with the uh, with the with the megaphone, Mister Megaphone, megaphone. <laughs> classic eighties comic. Yeah, yes, yeah. I remember him asking for a table. He's no was... longer alive, unfortunately. I know, I know that, but he had that act was really funny. <laughs> I did not. I, maybe you know. Maybe I didn't know he opened for Carlin. You mentioned. It. Yeah, it seemed like an odd choice, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Seemed like an odd choice, but no, I'm I'm really enjoying that. And then, yeah, and now I'm starting to audition for. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll say right now, I, uh, tomorrow in this very room that you see behind me, yes, one else can see it, but we're doing this on Zoom. I'll be auditioning for. I have an NDA. I can't really. I, I can't say what it's for. I can't say what it's for. Okay. But I'm but just auditioning. Just but auditioning. Is, is it a project you're excited about? Yes, very okay. excited. Okay. Very All right. excited. All right. I just want to hear that. I just want to hear that. Well, good. Um, you know, I've been doing. I be. I, you know, acting is a big. I really miss it. I like acting very much too. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know this. I studied uh, acting. So, I I like that. That's yeah. good. That's Stella Adler, little Stella. That's good. Um, yeah, I'm waiting to hear on some writing stuff. That this is so funny. I sold these scripts to Hallmark like yeah, twenty years ago. They, twenty. Yeah. They, well, they made they made three of them, but uh-huh. they bought they bought six of them, and now I've got somebody who was involved in as a producer at that production company. Mm-hmm. Wanting to know, he says, "Do you still have the rights to those things? Can you get it back from them?" I go, "Yeah, I think I can." Because uh, now he's got to deal with like a big production company. And, okay, look you know, at you. Yeah, 
So Keep we'll, Wayne Fetterman in mind. I, I'll do a Wayne, little part. That's my thing. Wayne, you're always. You're oh, always thank a, you. Thank you. Well, obviously, I mean, this book is indirectly responsible. You're responsible for this book. Well, I love it. I love I, it. I just, again, just the, the contacts that we make, and, and it goes across, you know, podcasts too. Like I said, you got, you were on with the, um, the Sklars and whatnot. And uh, just the, the podcast community in a, in a lot of ways to me reminds me of the comedy sort of community. Right. I've made, I've made friends with guys that live in Australia and mm-hmm. England and I've never met them and I've involved them in other projects, audio projects and stuff. And uh, we'll talk on zoom or Skype or whatever. And it's, it's again, it's like a weird little fraternity. Uh, of people doing this and which makes me wonder are you going to get back into the podcast yes yeah good question because you've had several of them well i did really good question i've only had two (laughs) it's not several just a couple well doesn't several edge no i don't think i don't i don't i think several means minimum three please tweet (laughs) me if i'm wrong and just so you know mark i'm wrong quite a bit so but i believe several means it has to be at least three um, but I've done two. I've done one, which was the book came out of the yeah. history of stand up. We're going to start a new season, our third season. Nice. Probably in a couple weeks. Okay. Probably come out July or August. And I'll probably review it. I know. You've been so nice to me. It's, I can't even <laughs> feel terrible now. Um, and then my first podcast which was called Human Conversation, which you also reviewed. Yes, and I loved the premise. Well, go ahead and talk about no, it. You tell me what the premise I'm, I feel like I'm talking too much on this thing. No, the element of the premise I loved was the fact you guys would not look anything up. Yep, yep. And then you would do a fact check the next, was it the next episode you did a fact yeah, check? Yeah, the next episode, yeah. And so you, you would then have all the facts down, and it was really funny seeing how close you guys had come. <laughs> To the stuff you were putting out, it was right. We wanted it brain to brain, no looking up. And and who was your partner on that? It's Erin McGaffey. Erin McGaffey, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she lives in Ireland now. Oh. And so I said, I don't want to do this thing over. It's just stupid. But I feel like the technology's increased a little bit, mm-hmm. and now we can do it. So that's going to start up as as well. So oh, they're nice. both back. They're both that's back. Great. That's great. The, needless to say, neither one of the podcasts like really broke through on any huge level, but they were really fun and creative, and I I love doing them. Well, it's interesting too because when those well, not so much the history of of stand up, but the the other podcast came out at a time that sort of um, you know podcasts have been sort of swelling under under the surface, and now they've just sort of turned into this whole other animal because. There's all yeah, you've been here for the whole thing. I want to talk to you about that a little bit. I feel like it was like, how big can it get? I feel like major media, like every big age, CAA, they all have podcast divisions now and things like that. Yeah, and what it reminds me of, and it's, yeah. sort, of, it's sort of interesting because there's a little bit of a shadow of sort of the uh, of sort of comedy evolution here is it reminds me of the early days of radio. Because when radio first started, everybody had a radio station in their basement. And they would... You're talking about in the 1920s. In the 1920s. And they, yeah, they, okay. they, their signal went like a mile. Yep. And they would play music or talk. It was just like podcasts. They would talk about whatever they wanted to do. There was no FCC. There was right. nobody to tell them to stop doing that. 
And then there was an FCC and they began slicing up the airwaves. And all of a sudden, if you had a little, little dinky radio station, well, now you were stepping on somebody's property. I put in air quotes, right? And so everything started to get gobbled up from an airwave standpoint. And the only people that could afford them were big corporations like Westinghouse and the companies that started real big radio shows, right? Uh, Philco, NBC, um, all these uh, big, big uh, broadcasters. Um, and you know, within 10 years, all the little guys were gone. All those little stations were gone. There was no room. There were still local radio stations. There was local the 30s. radio, but there wasn't a guy in a basement. Wasn't a guy in a basement. Okay, okay. Doing a show. There wasn't. Right. A, there wasn't a guy sitting in his wife's office talking to a comedy friend. Right, right. Think about okay. a podcast out, right? Uh, and so that's that. Unfortunately, I mean, I've got this sort of chill feeling that that's going in that direction because now there's giant. And didn't you have a radio show in the twenties? If I'm not mistaken, you had a little <laughs> thing that you used to do. Wasn't it Mark? Mark in the uh, in the yes, family actually, room? No, 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 not the family. The parlor. Mark in the parlor. We're trying to get the right term. I, I actually, yeah, did, I yeah, did I remember a, that. I remember I did, that. I did do a show from Paradise, California, on KNVR, The Rock from the Ridge, but that was a long time ago. Okay. Um, but yes, where it's kind of going, and I do see that. Given the sort of splintered nature of the internet, maybe these little podcasts will keep going. But to a large degree, will there be anyone to listen to them? Right. You know. I hear what you're saying. I, you, you're like looking right at me and saying <laughs> human conversation is probably going to get crushed. No, by some big thing. No, no, I don't think it will because you're Wayne Fetterman. God oh, my God. Thank you for saying, exactly. you for saying that. And people will be just clamoring that it's coming back. They're going to love No, it's, it's I don't know. I, I'm just fascinated by podcast. Every time I think it can't get any bigger, it gets bigger. That's yeah. that's the way it looks like to me. Like, yeah, it's just it, like, I can't possibly. And then like, who has time? I, I mean, you review them. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of and they, them, and they not just, millions. And they just keep coming out. Yeah. It's not, it's not and like how do you do that? I'm, I'm very, I'm sorry. This is enough about me. How do you do that? Like who decides which ones you're going to review? I all the reviewers on this week in comedy podcast decide what they're going to review. They just do it, okay? So um, it's I mean, we said we we have a round robin letter that goes out, so we don't step mm -hmm. on each other's toes, and we suggest shows that somebody might want to catch because we only really review one a piece. And so, if if a couple of great shows come out, we go, hey, can somebody cover this Conan interview? I got you, I got you, that sort of thing. And do you? All right. But, but I listen to a bunch of them to decide what I'm going to do. I do okay. Here's okay. Just like, let's get into it. Yeah. Do you so do 1.5 speed? How, what's your technique to get through I, these things? Uh, I listen at regular speed. What? Until no. I get, until I get, bored. Oh, okay. Okay. Until I get bored. Uh, and it's amazing how quickly some of these things. Yeah, of course. Of course. And the, you know, the other funny sort of parallel is, uh, nighttime talk show television because a lot of guests are now yeah. making the rounds if they have a movie coming out or say they have a book about stand-up comedy coming out they'll make the rounds and they'll appear on a number of podcasts yes, of course um and so almost like that you've got to have kind of do you, I mean, so you've been on a number of shows right talking about the book i've done it yes there's still a few i'm trying to get on but yes yeah yeah so so are there stories you kind of you know hold for one particular show? Do you tell the same? Oh, then that now I sort of base it on what somebody asks me and try yeah. to be in the moment there as opposed to, oh, I'm saving this for now. I don't think I 
Like it's, it all depends. It all depends on the person interviewing me. I got you. How am I doing? Uh, uh, yeah, yes, I, thought. Uh, I just made the face. Uh, <laughs> you're doing great. Good. This is zooming by. This is, we have any, I feel like we haven't really had like a, a moment. We were like, okay, what else do I need to know? Like if we go from subject to subject pretty seamlessly here. Well, that's what we try to do. Um, yeah, no, actually I'm going to finally do, I've never done Jesse's podcast. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that'll be so, fun. It's called The Big One. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, so. That's a um, good one. I like listening to his show. Hopefully it's going to be about my Kenner Easy Bake Oven bit. Now, That's I wonder if he gets pissed off that his show doesn't get reviewed. On oh, he, you won't review his show? Well, I don't think he's allowed to because it's, it's... Oh, it's his own network. Right? And I can't get Succotash reviewed on that column. Oh, told, of course, it's a conflict of interest. Yeah, yeah. Look at the way it works, guys. Somebody has ethics in media. I, I've even um, had some of my own reviewers on as guests on my show just to rub their face. In. Okay, let me ask you another question. Yeah. How many reviewers are in the are in your group? Is it six? There's a yeah. It's kind of a rotating stable of about six to eight. So, okay, six to eight. Is there like who's like the star? Who is like the kid who's just like oh my god? Her writing or his writing is so interesting and like uh, really taking reviewing to a new level. Given the length of the reviews we're able to do, I don't think anybody's kind of. Oh, nobody stood out. It's two hundred words. It's kind of hard to kind of make. Oh, that's your maximum two hundred words. Okay, yeah, so it's a bit hard to do. Um, and some people just don't review every week and some people just sort of drift away and it's kind of weird. So, um, I mean, I've been there, I think the longest, as far as a consistent reviewer, um, seeing people turn over and whatnot and now they pay us. So that's nice. Look at that. Oh, somebody's monet. Somebody is monetizing podcasting. Oh yeah. It's coming in hot and heavy now. <laughs> um, I guess I've kept you long enough, first of all, uh, um, and uh, we could go all night uh, if we wanted to. Of course, of course. It's a podcasting. Um, no one cares. Uh, you go to 1.5, they just turned it, I assume. Anyway, I don't assume anything. Now I hope, been, Hopefully, who's ever listening finds this moment right now fascinating. There you go. But with this, this, this long telescope on the, the history of stand-up, Mm-hmm. What do you kind of see if you turn the scope the other way heading towards the future? What what's that's the one question I won't answer. That's the really? one thing. I mean, I said earlier that I think there's gonna be a great comedy renaissance. So that's yeah. that's the most I will say. Because I don't, don't I'm know. like I'm a I'm a look back guy. I'm not a look forward. And I find that most people that look forward are wrong. So it's that's you don't want to be on the hook for that. No, no, no. It's, a, it's not even that. I just I just feel like there's a th- hundred thousand great stories to talk about in stand-up, and I don't yeah. want to con- make it about my conjecture of what yeah. is going to happen with, you know, That's fair the Cummings in the next year. Like, I, who knows? That's fair enough. That's yeah, fair enough. yeah. All but right, so the book, the book is The History of Stand-Up. From Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. To Dave Chappelle, and then it ends. That's it. And then I think, and I write in the book, I go, the next comedy historian will tell what happened. There's already been something that's happened since the book came out. Oh. And that is Clubhouse. Oh, Are you familiar with it? I am. I'm a proud member of Clubhouse. Okay. That's already, there's already comedians that sort of have made, like young comedians that have sort of 
made that their thing and have become very successful. Not, not even mentioned in my book. And I mentioned Twitch. I mentioned Instagram yeah, yeah. Live. I mean, so it's like that's how fast comedians yeah. adapt. I are said you, early in that comedians are like pornographers. We adapt <laughs> to new technologies. <laughs> Absolutely. Are you? Yeah, we're like we're in. We're in. It's are so you on fun. Clubhouse? Are you on Clubhouse? I am. I haven't really, as always. I've like have not. I've I've only I haven't maximized any of it. I've, I've minimized like, it. I would there's say a, there's a room called uh, what's it called? It's a comedy lounge, I think. That I've sort of sat in and just sort of I love like just kind of when I'm working at my desk, just sort of listening to the conversation. Mm-hmm. No, it's I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated. Yeah, so it's interesting. So okay, so yeah. Good. So that's happened since the book's yeah. been published. On you know, it's been out a month now. Yeah, uh, books available everywhere. Books are available. Yeah, you I, can order it if you don't want to do it through Amazon and you hate them. You can just order it from a local bookstore. They will get it for you. Yeah, I have it on, on Kindle. I have it on my You got iPad. the Kindle. Yeah, I have it on my iPad right now. It's right in front of me. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, you can click on – it doesn't matter. <laughs> on the bibliography, I have a number yeah, of books no, I, that I – I saw that. I saw that. That's very cool. It. No, I'm very, I'm very proud of it. Tell me if, it's the, if there's anything you don't like. Please tell me. I will. I will. And I, I am. I will finish it. Like I said, I only bought it a day ago and I've, I've gotten to the first two chapters. But oh, the thing I was going to mention before I let you go about it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's be, because I know you. Yep. Uh, when I read it, I definitely hear your voice. Oh, thank you. That's a, I feel like that's a compliment. Am I right? It is. It is. I mean, there, there are certain lines when you close like a passage, I go. <laughs> Man, that is pure Fetterman. Good. That's what I was, that was, I actually was going for that because it's, I zoom through the whole history of stand-up. It's not, it's not a long read. It's like, yeah. you'll see. And, but I, I wanted to make it in kind of a casual, uh, right now there might be people listening to this like, I don't want to hear this voice. <laughs> I don't want to read this voice. This voice is kind of annoying. Uh, but for those who like Wayne Fetterman's, rhythm yes and my yes yeah, and it, yeah. thank you, really you. that did, is uh yeah, you really did catch mark it. come on that was, i didn't expect that no that's and, nice and is did you do an audio version of this i have it's, it's not released yet okay. not released i'm holding that back a little bit all right all right anyway yes. so definitely get the book the history of stand-up it's a it is a a quick read i can already tell but it's also a really interesting read i mean just the- if you're into stand-up history yeah i think you would really like it it's yeah and there's some people in there besides marshall p wilder like that i think have not gotten their due that i sort of highlight a little bit yeah wally bogue is one of them and i would even i would even counter the idea that even if you're not a, like a fan or a student of of comedy uh the idea that you see what's happening on the on the comedy fringes of society through this very long period of American history from where you started is really interesting to see because comedy is oftentimes a reflection of the times. And then to see it sort of presented in this way is very fascinating because we're now seeing the times reflected in the comedy through this book. Always, always. Which is really interesting. No, and I try, if, if there's one theme to the book, it's that I try to connect it all. So when I see Amber Ruffin doing political comedy, I'm like, oh, that's something Will Rogers did. Yes. So it's like, again, they do it in a different style. I'm not saying 
go listen to Will Rogers if you, is the only way to enjoy political. But just like I like connecting it all. Like, yeah. let me give you another example. Yeah. I mean, they don't host the Oscars anymore, but Will Rogers was the first one to ever host comedian to host the Academy Awards. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. Very cool. It's very Sorry. cool. Um, and you mentioned that Kevin Hart was the last comedian to not <laughs> host the Oscars. <laughs> the first. <laughs> no, but it was just like an interesting, like that's something Alan King did. You know what yes. I mean? So it's like. It's the it's the whatever that guy is, the funny guy at yeah. an award show. Yes. So maybe it's not the Academy Awards. Maybe it's uh Ricky Gervais hosting the, the Golden Gold Globes. Globes. Yeah. But it's the same thing that Will Rogers started. Like yeah. oh, let's get a funny guy up here as opposed to Well the the comedian's the ultimate palate cleanser. You know, if the act before is kind of brings the room down, the comic can bring it up. If the act before was up, the comic can kind of keep the flow going. So right. comics kind of the, that ideal host person in a situation like that. So it makes tons of sense. Well, yeah. I mean, MC, I mean, look no further than Johnny Carson. Exactly. Exactly. Wayne, it's been a delight and far too short. Um, uh, I'm planning to get to LA soon now that I'm vaxxed up. Yes. And uh, let's, uh, let's do the hang. And can I say once again, yes. thank you for starting me on this journey, <laughs> hooking me up with Meg at, at Split Cider. Course. And uh, yeah, I should. I, I'm going to amend the uh, acknowledgments and put you in there and further in other editions. Don't even worry about it. No, Just, it's incredible. It's incredible. I do now kind of remember this whole thing that you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Now I teach. It's incredible. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Friends, summer is just around the corner, so you might be thinking to yourself, gosh, it's time to get out the suntan lotion, rubber thongs, and good old Bermuda shorts. Stop right there, Pilgrim. Did you know that every time you slip on a pair of their shorts, the British Protectorate of Bermuda receives a two-cent royalty? That's right, which is why Henderson's Pants, a loyal and legal corporate entity of these United States since 1896, is introducing their Wake Island abbreviated trousers. Roomy and comfortable like the Bermuda shorts you've come to love, but with the freedom that comes from knowing you won't be helping out the subjects of our former British oppressors. The stylish Wake Island abbreviated trousers are named for the unincorporated tiny landmass in the North Pacific, which is a legal U.S. protectorate. Now, when those hot, sticky days of summer hit, slip on a pair of Henderson's Wake Island abbreviated trousers and go for a stroll on the beach, around the pool, or through the mall. Feel free to wear briefs, boxers, or nothing at all under your new snazzy and 100% American abbreviated trousers, because as a U.S. citizen, you have the right to stow your junk any way you choose. Originally designed for the U.S. Department of Immigration, Trout Farmers, and Dark Seedy Theaters, that's Henderson's Wake Island abbreviated trousers, available wherever things you put your legs into are sold. And now back to more of Suckatash. Thanks to Wayne Fetterman for the visit. Love that guy. You can get his book, The History of Stand-Up, pretty much everywhere, but I'll throw a link to where it lives on Amazon up on our home site at SuckatashShow.com. When we hit our 10-year anniversary last month, I thought it was a good time to bring back the Tweet Sack. Yes, I know you're happy to get out of that grungy bag, Tweety. And so here's a rundown of the folks and bots so kind to mention, tag, reply, DM, or somehow get our handle into their socials. Mad Maddie, the Jock Doc Podcast. Hey, 
I was just a guest on the JDP, but I'll tell you more about that when the episode gets a little closer to the drop date. Blazed, Screams and Moans, Charlie Miller, Misfit Scully, Bob Saget, Salty Language Pod, Juliet Miranda, The Amazing Nerd Show, St. Paul Filmcast, Odd Dad Out, Run With Me Pod, The Shiznit Show, Jan Ardent Pod, Quadfather MFT, Rough Giraffe Pod, Morning Neuroses, Nicholas, Nikolai's Kitchen, Sun Power Pod, Afterburn 739, and Listen Brilliant. That's going to do it for this extra-long episode 252 of Suckatash. Thanks again to Wayne Fetterman, and of course, to you. If you like the show, please feel free to jump over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us in a favorable way. And if you're a comedy soundcaster and would like to get a clip on our show, hang on for Bill Haywatt's wrap-up to get details on just how you could make that happen. Tyson Saner will be cruising this feed next week with a passel eclipse for you. Until then, if someone should happen to approach you and ask if you've heard anything good lately, won't you please pass the succotash? You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, with your host, Mark Hershaw. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Rate us and review us at Apple and Google Podcasts. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com. On Spotify. On Stitcher. On iHeartRadio. On YouTube. On SoundCloud. And wherever fine soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Suckatash Show. Like us on Facebook. Email us at marc at succotashshow.com. Or call into the Suckatash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Suckatash. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Suckatash is executive produced by Mark Hershon. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production.